Hello listeners and welcome to the Savvy Sit-Down, a place of free-thinking Seventh-day Adventist discussion. I'm your host Jed Frias and our Bible thought of today is taken from Jeremiah 29 verse 11 and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. That is the favorite Bible verse of our guest for today. Judy Gamez. Judy Gamez is an Adventist who attended Crawford Adventist Academy from grades 2 to 12 and went on to go to Seneca College majoring in accounting where she worked in accounting for one year and then she realized she hated it. So she went on to Andrews University where she majored in marketing and she worked in marketing sales before becoming a stay-at-home mom for 11 years. But after that, in 2010, she became the executive assistant to the supervising principal of her former elementary school, Crawford Adventist Academy, and in 2016 became the development director where she is now until present. And she's also the elder at the Mount Zion Filipino Seventh-day Adventist Church, focusing on youth and young adults. Hi, Judy. Welcome to Sevi Sit Down. Thanks, Fritz. This is awesome. Can you uh, please explain to our listeners why that is your favorite verse? I think maybe more so recently over the last few years. It sort of meant a lot to me, maybe as a mom with a daughter that was going through, you know, the traditional sort of teen angst, going into a new high school where she knew nobody, where she was nervous about getting into the visual arts program. So it was sort of there where I kind of had to really pull that verse and just say, hey, you know what, you have abilities and, you know, apply to this program. She didn't really know. She didn't think she would get in and she did. And just that fear of going into the unknown, fear of going into a new school where she knew absolutely no one. And that sort of resonated with me. And, you know, there were times where it was rough because she wanted to leave that school and go to the school where all of her friends from elementary school went. Because we lived out of the region, they wouldn't take her application, and she was really dead set on going to a visual arts program. So that verse has become more meaningful as a mom, I think, some mothering a teenager that had to go through like these bumps in the road. Sort of fast forward a few years, I'm now sort of experiencing, you know, highs and lows in my in my workplace. So that's a verse I've really had to cling to on days where it's been most discouraging and knowing that, you know, in the environment that I'm working in, that in spite of all the problems, that at the end of the day, there is a plan and that we just have to be patient and just wait and trust that um, God has, you know, our only just our hopes and he just has our best interest in, in his mind. So hanging on to that a lot this school year. Yeah, that's a really powerful verse. Absolutely, yeah. It's also actually the favorite mm-hmm. verse of our um, previous guest, A.B. Mm-hmm. Aguinaldo. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So uh, can you please tell us a bit about your religious background? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was born, obviously, Adventist. Uh, my parents, both my parents were born Adventist. So very traditional Filipino. We grew up at Willowdale Church, which was a more conservative sort of worship style. Sort of you went to Sabbath school, you went to divine worship, you went home for lunch, you took a nap, and that was Sabbath. So it wasn't it wasn't fun. I don't recall enjoying Sabbath or looking forward to Sabbath as a child, even as a teenager. You know, it was one of those days where you constantly checked the clock and is it sunset yet? Is it sunset yet? You know, so we could go out or turn the TV on. 
So I think in my childhood experience growing up as an Adventist in, in a more conservative sort of church background, it wasn't something I enjoyed till later, towards my later high school years. One of my friends from school here at Crawford invited me to join her at Philcan one Sabbath where they had a very dynamic youth group that, you know, they were all involved every Sabbath. There was an AY program, there was youth choir. So I visited her one day, one Sabbath, and decided I would visit the next Sabbath and the Sabbath after that. And their current, their youth director at the time, after a few weeks of me attending, I wasn't a member yet, their youth director at the time said to me, hey, Judy, you know, you're going to be in charge of AY, like next Saturday. So that's sort of where my journey into the Filipino church um, started and how I sort of started, in, started getting into youth ministry. So shortly after that, I changed my membership to Philcan Church, which is now referred to as First Philcan. And shortly after that, my entire family came to Philcan. So we started worshiping together as a family at Philcan. So what is your testimony then? It's been quite a journey. As a youth leader that grew up at Philcan from my later high school years, um, in fact, my, that generation of young people, the majority of those young people who were once active youth leaders, active choir members, just active officers of the church, are actually no longer in church. Um, as a result of, you know, politics and just some hurtful things that they saw when we were all going to church together. Most of them, after witnessing all those events took place, just decided, nope, the church is not for me. And so out of a group of at least 30 active youth leaders, there's maybe six of us that are still in the church now. I used to make it my mission that I was going to stay in church because I never wanted our church to hurt our young people like that ever again. And so for, for many years, actually, I was angry. And maybe that's obviously not the right reason to stay in church, but I kind of made it my mission to sort of say, well, I'm going to try and stay on this board so that I can keep voicing my opinion about what happened and just remind them that we would, should never, ever do this again so that, you know, an entire generation of young people is ever annihilated like that again. So clearly you stayed on the board because you eventually became... Because I was mad, <laughs> if that's a good reason. <laughs> well, this led you to become an elder at Mount Zion Filipino mm -hmm. Church now. Mm -hmm. So what's it like being an elder in the church in general? Like, What are some of the responsibilities you have to do? Uh, well, to be honest, when I was first asked, I ran. I avoided our lead pastor at the time for a few weeks actually, he would come towards me and I knew it was coming. So I would sort of try to avoid him because someone had said, hey, you know, the nominating committee has come together and someone's going to ask you if you would like to be an elder. I guess growing up, you sort of see what this vision, you know, an elder used to be somebody who was like, you know, a much older male figure. You sort of have this preconceived notion of what an elder is, even though whether or not it's it's accurate or not. But um, I certainly didn't consider myself to be elder material per se, although maybe the other part of my brain also knows that well, there's no one's perfect, and perfection is certainly not a criteria to be an elder. But I think to maybe watching my my dad was an elder at Mount Zion for many years when we were growing up, and I think sometimes it's like that staunch sort of super conservative, very, you know, you can't do anything wrong, sort of, you get that picture in your head. And as far as I was, was concerned, that's not me. And I, I don't think I could ever be an elder. So I ran from it for weeks until I could no longer avoid it. And I had a chat, it was Pastor Jess that had asked me when he was our lead pastor. 
after praying about it and talking to my family about it and discussing it with my sister, it was like, okay, I'm pr I've prayed about it and I think the Holy Spirit is moving me to say yes. So I said yes with a lot of hesitation. I didn't really know what it meant to be an elder, I guess. I had sort of asked that over and over again. Well, what do I need to do? And, you know, outside of the visitation, outside of mentoring. And I spend a lot of time talking. Like if, if our, one of our young per people has a problem, then they would call. And, you know, I think sometimes we feel like we have to give advice. But I've found in my experience that all a lot of people really want is for somebody to listen to them and pray with them and just know that somebody cares. So that's been my experience in the two, I've been an elder now for two and a half years, and so far it's been positive. You have to sit down and listen to a lot of problems and be able to be neutral and not take a side. So I, I kind of tend to lead with my emotions So sometimes, so that's a skill I've had to learn is that, you know, to keep my emotions in check and not sort of be, not side and just list, try to be able to hear both sides of the coins. And then make a not make a decision for those people, but sort of guide them, ask questions so that they can actually solve their own problems without you having to come out and say, well, here's how you're going to solve your problem. And then obviously leading them into prayer and um, knowing that they have to be able to forgive one another. So that's kind of been the experience. A lot more to being an elder than meets the eye, for sure. It is, for sure. So what are some of the current ministries mm -hmm. or projects that you're working on? So I've been working with our afternoon congregation, which launched just over a year ago at Mount Zion. That's been our biggest project, I think. It's, t it's been the most time-consuming project that I've worked with since being a, a member at Mount Zion. Um, some of the other projects, we're hoping to do a little bit more mentorship. They want all the elders to be able to preach a sermon, so I'll be preaching a sermon in July in the morning service. And I'm super nervous, but yeah, so this is a skill that they, they're hoping to build in all of us. So that's going to be something we'll be working on and we'll be presenting. Um, as of last night, they've asked the Elders Council to be able to present different chapters from the Elders Manual, which admittedly I haven't read from cover to cover. So I'll be preparing a presentation on that, um, hopefully to present that this summer as well. What are some of the challenges with current ministries? Uh, um, we're a really busy church, so I think a lot of our challenges are time. We're time restricted. Everything has to happen. Well, we're under the impression that everything has to happen on Sabbath. So a lot of us are clamoring for time. And because there's not enough time, but there's so many things that we want to do, I think sometimes that works against us. I think some of the other challenges is that we're, we don't have, we haven't quite seen the whole F team sort of model that we're working towards. We're not really working together, but we're sort of, we want to implement our own projects and not see how it sort of impacts the church as a, as a whole and how we can work together to sort of execute specific plans. We're still sort of working in our own corners. Sorry, can, what do you mean the F team model? Uh, so the F team model at Mount Zion, so there's, there's five different teams and each, so let's say fellowship is one team and so they're in charge of specific ministries like socials, hospitality. So in, in some instances, each F team per se will make up their own plans. But the idea is that you make plans that impact the whole church. It would allow for everybody to work together to execute one specific plan. But because we have so many, it's hard to really focus in on those events or on those activities and really, really do them like 110%. So I think sometimes we sort of over-program and sort of um, 
because we, if we don't feel like we're busy, that we're not effective, but it'd be really great if we could just maybe do one or two and just be really good at them and just execute really effectively. And yeah, so I think those are some of the challenges. We're just a, a really busy church and everybody has their own plans. And so unfortunately it doesn't some, sometimes always come together so that for the better of the entire church and the people that we're serving. Yeah, a lot going on can be overwhelming. Lots going on, always. So as we said mm -hmm. in the introduction, you are working at Crawford mm -hmm. Adventist Academy. Mm -hmm. So what's it like working in an Adventist school? Because we're a small school, there's an amazing sense of family and you know you can always rely on the people that you work with, like your staff. I mean, not to say that in this, in this environment there isn't politics and there aren't problems, because there certainly are, but um, working in a smaller Adventist school has really put me in the path of um, young people who are hurting. And there's so many issues, like a lot of them faced issues that, you know, when I was growing up, that wasn't even a thing. Like it wasn't an issue. Like there's, you know, mental health, stress, and just we've seen a lot of uh, young people who get to the point where they have panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and it impacts their academics. Just a lot of, you know, young people who question God, if God really does exist and how is he relevant to me in the greater picture. So it really puts me in the path where I get to meet young people and get to talk to them every day. So if I don't prepare myself every morning in prayer, then I sort of have to be in that mindset where I have to be prepared every single day because I never know who is going to come through my door who may need you know, someone to listen to them, someone to for me to pray with them. And sometimes the problems are really heavy. And I've found that if you don't if you're not prepared, then it's a difficult challenge to to be able to minister to the young person if you yourself aren't grounded in your own relationship with, with God and um, yeah. On any given day you'll you'll get students that come into the office that have problems. And I'm not I'm certainly not a counselor or a teacher, but I think it's just, you know, so many young people just need someone to listen to them, is what I've found. Yeah, how do you think things mm -hmm. would be different if you worked in a public school instead? Um, it might be different in the sense, most public schools are considerably larger than our school. So you may have a greater challenge getting to know a lot of the students on a more personal level. Um, because the school is so small, not only do we get to know the student very well, we get to know their families, we get to know what their family dynamics are, because then, you know, we'll get to meet their parents and talk to their parents. So it's a shorter sort of line of communication, so it sort of bridges that gap. I think also maybe the element of just having that opportunity to be able to pray with a, with a student, um, which you may or may not have that opportunity in the public setting. So I think that's certainly one of the bigger um, differences. So I spoke with mm -hmm. Obi Ray, who is mm -hmm. a teacher here at mm -hmm. this school as well, and he said that one of his concerns is that it seems like the Adventist education system kind of mm -hmm. appears more like God is sprinkled onto a secular system. Mm -hmm. Would you agree mm -hmm. to that, or what's your take? Yes and no. I think, I think sometimes, too, as faculty or as a staff, we sometimes maybe take that for granted as well. It could be, but it's, it's also, you never really know who you're ministering to and how. So even just those little sprinkles, as convoluted or watered down as it may seem from a, from a textbook standpoint, 
you never really know who it's reaching and how it's impacting them. So I think even those little sprinkler sprinkles impact some students, or even not even just students, faculty or the staff or staff, because um, some of us come to work and you know whatever problems we have at home, suffering loss or just suffering anxiety. I think there's there's opportunity for there's definitely impact in sprinkles, no matter where they are. Yeah, I guess you could think of the uh, ripple effect kind Absolutely. of idea. Absolutely, yeah. So what would you say to people mm -hmm. who might say that Adventist schools shelter mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. or they cause them to be ill-prepared for the challenges mm -hmm. of the real world mm -hmm. because they're in this sheltered mm -hmm. Christian environment? I think that could be, that could be said to be true. Um, it just depends. I've seen students graduate from here and go straight to U of T and flourish. And I've also seen the converse where they've left Crawford Halls, gone to U of T or wherever, another Western, another big university and have just, and have just sort of fallen off the path and have had to drop out of school. When I talked to some of our alumni and asked them, well, you know, how did you handle going from a small school, Crawford, and then, you know, going to U of T, how did you survive? How did you sort of transition into that? A lot of it is mindset, and I think a lot of it is just, you know, that initiative and sort of, um, I think it also takes a little bit of, of honing and tapping into some of the leadership abilities that, and I would have to say Crawford really does help develop some of those leadership skills because they're given opportunities to lead because we're a small school. It really, I think it really has a lot to do with the mindset and just, you know, everyone's different. Not everybody's, you know, everybody's just made up differently. So I've seen both, both cases where people flounder and people, you know, just have a hard time. But you're right. I think it's, I think sometimes when we water it down on this side and we're not really, um, but you know, that's why I think as a school, we've sort of given our students more opportunities to join partner programs. So the school sort of works with U of T where they take the students downtown and they, they get to sit in on lectures, they get to ask questions, we bring those schools onto campus and they get to meet like, you know, real people live and to be able to ask questions and see what those environments and what to expect when they get there. Um, so we're really making that concerted effort just to sort of close that gap and give our students that better advantage so when they leave here they don't feel like a fish out of a fishbowl. To your knowledge, does the mm -hmm. school talk about mm -hmm. social issues that are mm -hmm. going on in society. It's one thing to shelter a student Absolutely. from not being prepared knowledge-wise for yes. university was another thing to for sure. shelter them from sure. like the social aspect of for university sure. where there's sure. various different beliefs and cultures. So Absolutely. What's Absolutely. your take on that? Um, I think we've also tried to give those opportunities um, Maybe in some of our religion classes, they may give opportunity for some, you know, critical thinking, some discussions about, you know, relevant issues that are, um, but you're right. I think we, there is still some way to go on that sort of front where we could sort of improve in that area and then just sort of maybe take our students out and maybe more in the community a little bit more just so that they could be involved in the community a little bit more so that they could experience these firsthand. But yeah, I think we have a little bit of ways to go. And there are, there are definitely things we can do to improve that sort of gap, to close the gap on, on those things. You were also a stay-at-home mm -hmm. mom for mm -hmm. 11 years, so mm -hmm. you obviously care deeply about your children. Mm -hmm. So what is your philosophy on how to raise your mm -hmm. children? 
It's pretty simple, I guess. I want to be able to give my children the ability to make their choices. So they know, we've, I hope, and my prayer is that we've sort of grounded them to really, you know, hone in to, to really know why they believe what they believe to hopefully have strong values and, you know, strong moral ethics so that, you know, when the time came for Jessica to be able to make her own decisions, we could trust her to know that even if you did make a decision that was going to harm you, that you would know even how to just come above it, rise above it, and be able to turn it around and fix it. Um, so we're certainly not perfect parents. I often wonder sometimes, am I a good mom? Am I a horrible mom? Am I failing at this? You know, it's prayer and just open communication and spending time with your children. Um, I try to make it a point to spend time with Jessica and Justin um, separately, um, obviously because there's a huge age gap between the children. You know, some of the things that Jessica and I talk about may be, you know, different, obviously, from what Justin and I would discuss in the car home or wherever, but just trying to, you know, intentionally spend time with the kids and spend time as a family, that uh, that's really important to us as parents and um, taking them on trips and, you know, having them, you know, experience things outside of the little corner that we live in, um, which had a lot to do with the philosophy when we moved to California and ended up, it was supposed to be for a year and it ended up being a five-year stint away from home. And I think that really played on Jessica's ability to be resilient and to be able to sort of adapt in different um, situations. But just, yeah, just really showing them that the world is much bigger than the little corner we live in in Richmond Hill, you know? What you're saying about raising your children so mm -hmm. that they're free to make their own choices reminds mm -hmm. me of a quote that mm -hmm. I heard recently. I can't remember mm -hmm. who said it exactly, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'll be paraphrasing, but mm -hmm. it said, the goal of a parent is not to raise good children, mm -hmm. it's to raise good adults. Absolutely. Yeah, oh. absolutely. So what is your biggest hope for your children? My biggest hope for my children are... You know, obviously every parent wants their child to be thriving and successful. You know, obviously my definition of successful it would be different than what Jessica's would be, Justin's. Um, as far as Justin's concerned, he just wants to be an NBA player hopefully one day. And Jessica, you know, is just, just needs to get into PT school as far as she's concerned. But, you know, in general, you know, we just want them to be loving, kind people. Um, hopefully people that, you know, will still see the value of... Um, having a relationship with their parents and perhaps even their grandparents when they're older and will have a sense of family and just spending time together. Um, we hope that's something that will be valuable to them eventually. And we hope that's something we've always modeled for them. I mean, obviously, I also hope, we also hope that Jessica and Justin will, you know, see the value in prayer and having a relationship with Christ. And to me, it's not so much about the, do you go to church still or not? I think it's more important for me to know that they have that relationship and whatever that relationship looks like hopefully that's something that we have modeled for them and you know that's something we would hope for them as well as they grow what is your biggest concern for them oh wow um well something we've worried about over the years living in toronto and seeing how expensive it is um i think one of our biggest concerns is that will they be able to afford to live here we don't know what Toronto will look like, you know, that far ahead when, when they're ready to move out on their own. But, you know, we're hoping that, you know, they can still afford to live in this city at that time. And we're hoping that we can set that groundwork for them. Um, I think also our biggest, con one of our biggest concerns is that, you know, will they make it to heaven? You know, you think about those kind of things. You think about, you know, will they still 
you know, love us as parents, will they still love God when there, there's going to come a time where we don't all live under the same roof? Will it still matter to them? You know, will they be happy? Will they be content? You know, those kind of things. I don't think, um, to me, it's, it's not so much about the, you know, will they be materially successful? Obviously, that doesn't govern your happiness most of the time. Um, but, you know, just generally speaking, like, you know, will they be able to stand as adults? And, you know, hopefully we as parents have sort of put that groundwork in so that when they have to stand on their own, that they will be able to. Yeah, that makes complete sense. How do you balance family, career, and your ministry responsibilities? I don't. I'm a hot mess. <laughs> um, yeah, that's hard. I mean, I think it depends who you ask. My husband would tell you I'm probably not really good at balancing all those things. He thinks I spend more time at work and doing church stuff than I am at home. Um, it's a tough balance. I can't even lie. It's, um, we struggle with that a lot. So a lot of our family time happens in the car just because of our schedules. Um, we have to be intentional in having dinner all together at least once a week. And that once a week is usually Friday or Sunday morning brunch. It's tough. It's tough. But, um, you know, obviously I'm getting better at learning how to say no to stuff that I know is just filling my calendar and has really no value. Um, my husband will tell you that I have a hard time saying no to people, but um, that's a skill I'm learning and I'm learning better now and just learning to really prioritize and just put more value in, in family and just a few things and not spread myself too thin. But it's been tough when ever since I came back to the conventional workforce, it's been a real, I feel like I'm never home. So it's, I feel like my house is a mess all the time and unless people are coming over and then we could quickly clean up. But I don't know. I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to find the real answer to that question myself. So when I, when I do, we'll do another podcast for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so as mentioned earlier, uh, you have some experience in marketing. Mm -hmm. How do we best market Christianity to young mm. people? Oh wow. Or what is what is the church doing wrong in their marketing, mm. if we were to phrase it like that? I read an article. I follow, um, I think it's called Younger Generation Church. There's a church in uh, Allen Martin in Arlington, Texas. I think it was him that posted it. it said, we're telling our kids how to be Seventh-day Adventists and not Christian, and not, as opposed to telling them how to be Christians. So I think we're focusing more on this is what you need to do. This is what you can't do. This is instead of showing them, here's how Christ loves us. The more practical sort of all-encompassing. We're sort of focusing on like all the you know you can't wear jewelry and you can't eat this and you can't eat that. I think a lot of the time we place that emphasis on that and then and then wonder why the young people are leaving our church or we'll talk about you know you have to treat your brothers with love and respect and then you'll go to a meeting at church or a board meeting and you'll see that it's completely the opposite so i don't think we always necessarily practice what we preach but i think to market christianity i think we really have to focus on relationship more as opposed to i think sometimes we don't really have that opportunity because we're too busy running from one thing to the next one activity one meeting and there's not even that time where we've actually had time to sit down and just have a full-length conversation with someone. There's many Sabbaths where I feel like at the end of the day, I haven't really had a real conversation with anybody all day. I've been in this church, like surrounded by many people, 
but I've been in meetings, I've been in, and not really like building my relationship with any one specific person. So I think we really need to push it more from building relationships with others, with those around you, and of course with, with Christ, because I don't think we're doing that. So what is something that the church teaches that mm. you have difficulty believing or uh, something you simply mm. don't believe in or, or agree with? I think sometimes we look at church as, you know, it's the service. It's, this is how it looks like, but I don't know. I think ever, maybe now more with Second Church and seeing what that impact and how that's impact people, impact. Yes, it's a service, but I think it gives us a little bit more freedom to, to sort of be out of the box and not really that traditional sort of service. Um, and not to say that there's anything wrong with traditional, because that's what works and that's what, that's how people connect with the church sometimes. But I still think we, we look at the value of our church by how many programs and how many events we're having on any given Sabbath. And if we don't have like a specific number, if we don't have many of them, then we don't feel like we're useful or that we're relevant. I'd like to see it we're kind of the flip where we're focusing more on the people and not so much on the actual service. Because I think sometimes we forget because we're so focused on that, you know, all the diff the execution of the event that we just forget about the people that we're, we're actually ministering to or supposed to be ministering to. So that's what I'd like to see where we can sort of talk about that a little more. We talk about, we talk a lot about how our young people are gone, but we haven't, re I don't know if we've done a great job at actually maybe calling them and saying, hey, well, you know, what is, what's, and like just building that, closing that gap and that relationship and just saying, hey, you know, talking to them and getting to know them. And I think sometimes I see the value in the socials that we have outside of church because I think that our young people can connect with that and not necessarily be in the church building per se. We're that, and that can be intimidating for people who have who no longer see the value of church. So I'd like to see us more go down more of those kind of ministry paths. Yeah, it all goes back to relationships. Absolutely, yeah. So what is your hope for the church then? Mm -hmm. What do you want the church to look like in the future? I'd love for us to have church, not in the church necessarily, in the building per se. Church could be anywhere. Church could be in the park on, on a, I mean, we have such a short period of amazing weather. It'd be really great to just take it outside. Um, I think sometimes we're sort of constrained by those walls sometimes. And I think because we put it in such a box, it sort of just limits what we can do. I think just being more relevant I'm also following another church um, out in Edmonton, and they really sort of, so they serve coffee in the morning, and I know at some churches that would be like, that would be a cardinal sin, <laughs> but it's catering to the people they, who aren't necessarily churched. So it's like for them to get up at nine o'clock in the morning, that's difficult for some people on a Sabbath morning. That's difficult for most of us on a Sabbath mornings. But you know, having those small little details, I think that sort of show them like, hey, you know what, we, we're real people. And it's sort of, hey, come and have a coffee with us, come sit, you know, throw in a pair of jeans, whatever. It, there's not so much focus on how you're dressing or how you look to come to this church. And just knowing that it's kind of like that relaxed sort of atmosphere where you have a service where it's sort of just enough time that will say, hey, we have something of value to say here, but we also value your time. You're probably busy later. 
and we know you have other stuff to get to and we're not going to keep you here all day. So something that sort of shows people in our community or around us that we respect them and know that this is probably not the only thing you're going to do today. So we're going to keep it short and sweet, but we want you to know that we're here with this service for you. But I think sometimes we go a little overboard where it's like, okay, you're going to be here for four hours. And that could be a deterrent for some people because people are busy. I don't know, just some things that I've been thinking about over the last several months. Yeah, that's really interesting. Right? There's a very specific friend that I would like to bring to church. But I know she's going to tell me, well, A, Saturday's my, like, chill day. It's my day to do grocery shopping. It's my day to, you know, do stuff I don't have time to do during the week. So if you're going to invite me to your church and you're going to tell me it's from, whatever, 12 till 6, I don't have that block of time to sort of devote to something like that, at least not not when you're, you haven't really bought into the idea yet. So at least if you make it short, it's like, hey, come out for an hour, grab a coffee, come sit down, whatever, but you'll be in and out of there in, in an hour and a half. I think people can commit to a shorter period of time and be more willing to come and check us out if they know that they're not gonna be there all day. So it's just that, it shows people that we also value their time. Yeah, and I even see that working well for Adventists because sometimes yeah. even yeah. Uh, active Adventists mm -hmm. get caught up in spending all of Sabbath all in the church day. instead of with their yes. family or... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Or in their own um, yeah. Devo life or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's a problem I have because then it's sort of, we go to church as a family, well, no. I can't even say that. We go to church separately because Jay and I drive separate cars depending what our schedule is. And usually outside of Second Church, I won't see them until 10, 30, 11 when we're all leaving to go home. Because we're all involved in our own different whatever. I'm in a meeting upstairs. Justin's playing basketball downstairs. So you're in the building as a family, but you're not actually together. So that's a, one of the challenges I've had for many, many years. So I guess... Mm -hmm. How do we achieve that? <laughs> Clearly, we're yeah. not achieving it. But what are the right steps towards that direction, if you see um, any? Wow. It's a hard sell. We're not good at change. I've already seen that. But yeah, certainly if we want to bring, if, though, if we want to target, you know, different demographics, people who aren't necessarily church, then we have to do it totally different than how we're doing it now. Because I still think we're sort of, doing it from a cookie cutter standpoint and it's not really appealing to i think it could certainly appeal to more people if we're sort of conscious of you know a lot more factors than what we take in right now but how to achieve that i think we have to be more open-minded and just sort of i think we have to sort of let go of some of our own preconceived notions and preconceived um sort of ideas to how church should be I know it's everything's traditional. Um, we're sort of, you know, stuck to that sort of, you know, not out of the box sort of idea of how church should run. But I think sometimes we really have to step out of the, the non-traditional approach. Okay, well, thank you for your time, Judy. I think uh, that's you. a good place to end. Do you have any uh, plug-ins, shout-outs, or good reads you'd like to share with the listeners? Shout out Jessica Gamez and Justin Gamez. <laughs> <laughs> And it was all love that I took them to the Raptors victory parade. It was all love. <laughs> I hadn't planned on doing it, but for the sake of being part of history. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. <laughs> I hope so. It was a long day. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Thank you.